Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Listen, you've heard my hashtag, different, better, more. What will you do differently, better, or more of in 2023? Some of you have already committed to healing from grief by working with me and my non-clinical approach to grief recovery and support. But for those of you who want to round out your healing with a clinical approach, there's BetterHelp and their network of over 25,000 licensed therapists. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether that's by text, by chat, phone, or even video. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, with more scheduling flexibility and at a much more affordable price. Use this link to get 10% off your first month. BetterHelp.com forward slash C words. That's better H-E-L-P com forward slash c words oh those f and c words changing confidence child two words that are so scary they may as well be personal let's talk about it on this podcast we'll share our stories about hardship and starting over making professional pivots ending relationships and friendships and having the confidence to navigate change I'm Marcia Cork, the change coach, and this is Ooh, Those F and C Words. MCs, we are back together again. How's everybody doing? Are we ready to jump into this work week? I guess I'm as ready as I'm going to be. Actually, I'm feeling pretty restored right now after an amazing spa experience this weekend with a couple of friends. I'm sure I've mentioned from time to time I'm in the DMV area. That's D.C., Maryland and Virginia. And we have this salt cave out here in Bethesda. So my friends and I got in some much needed girl time and even more needed <laughs> massages and meditation. So I am feeling especially restored and excited to share part two of last week's episode, the second half of the conversations from my Different Better More event. All right. So last week I left off with Dr. Dana about to share a handful of tips as we manage weight loss. I know that's something that many of us are working on right now. So we're going to kick off the episode with that overview, and then we're going to jump right into the raw and very personal stories shared by the women at the Different Better More event. These conversations were actually so sensitive that I decided to go off camera for them. You know, these days I've been making the video versions of the episodes available on Spotify and on YouTube, but I don't want to do that to protect the identity of the participants. Um, but their conversations are just so moving. I hope that you are moved and then empowered, you know, by their testimonies and how they observe in real time the extent of their grief and how they've been dealing instead of healing. All right, let's listen in. One is, is focusing on their weight because majority of us have gained weight over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Even though a, uh, there are many of us that haven't had problems with weight and then COVID hit and then everybody started having problems with weight. Mm -hmm. So I'm just giving you three things that you can do on your own that's free, that's free that can help you lose weight without having to change anything else or purchase anything else. This is what you can do. Um, so as we're here, we're talking about goal setting, um, writing down our, you know, our vision for the year, our goals for the year, putting things down on paper. I'm a big proponent of it because when you see it, it registers. When you register, you're held accountable. You hold yourself accountable. So tracking what you're eating, Putting down what you're putting in your mouth. We unconsciously put so many calories into our bodies that we don't think about. Okay? We drink a lot of our calories. I'm a big proponent of do not drink your calories. There's so many alternatives now that, that taste good. We don't have to. You know, alcohol is alcohol. You can't get around it. But you can. You can drink a little more responsibly in regards to weight. Um, but 
put down what you're eating, what you're putting in your mouth. Track it. There's free there's free nutrition trackers. There's MyFitnessPal. Um, if you, you know, there's just so many things you can download and you can just scan. You don't have to type in every little thing. It makes it easier for you. And then it tells you once you see, once you can visually see what you're putting in, it makes you think twice about do I really need that second helping? Do I need this bagel? Or I know I'm going to brunch on Sunday. Uh, I think I'm going to have a salad today or for the rest of the week. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's the first thing. That's hard. Yeah. The second thing, <laughs> yes. The second thing is not, well, I'm sorry, as far as that, I'm going to give you four things. Not all calories are equal, okay? Because when you're tracking it down, you can have 200 calories of a, a slice of cheesecake, or you can have 200 cal- calories of a salad. Not only is it a difference between those calories, your body processes it, it's processes it differently, okay? So, if you think about 200 calorie, calories is 200 calories, it really isn't. What happens to your body, the spike in insulin from you eating that cheesecake, it's going to have long-lasting effects than the fiber um, and the antioxidants and the, the vitamins you get from that salad. Um, also, you're going to be hungry in like 30 minutes to an hour, as opposed to that salad, you're full for like four hours. So that's, that's in line of what you're putting down, but just make just realize that all calories are not created equal, all right? Um, the second thing is physical activity. You don't have to work out intensely. You can do 30 minutes of walking, okay? You can do, um, I'm not good at mental math, but what's 30 times 5? 150 minutes of some kind of physical activity. If you're walking, um, dancing, um, even on a treadmill, walk on an incline. You don't have to do anything. What? Yoga, Yoga, biking, you know, jumping jacks. Mm -hmm. Do some jumping jacks at home. You don't have to go anywhere, but try to incorporate at least 30 minutes. And And I usually say, give me like three days a week, you'll notice a difference. Because in... As, wow. Along with you just decreasing your intake, you're boosting your metabolism. You know, they, they work synergistically. So in order to sustain that weight loss, you've got to increase your physical activity. Um, and the third thing, um, and all of my clients know, that's one of the part of the program is, is intermittent fasting. Um, we don't need three meals a day. We don't need to snack in between those meals. We don't need to eat many meals throughout the day. A lot of the nutrition advice we were given is outdated. Just like we think about now in the 90s, the Got Milk commercials. Everybody, Got Milk, Got Milk. We don't even need milk. But it was a big push. The, the, the nutrition pyramid, everything that's on there, there's a lot of things that are outdated that as, we, as we're older and they're talking about obesity medicine, we know that it's not healthy for us. Eating constantly throughout the day causes our insulin levels to stay up. Because what our body has to do is to release insulin in order to pull the, the fuel, which is glucose, from our blood, you know, our blood sugar. Um, it stores it in our muscles so we can use it for later. It stores it in our liver, liver so we can use it as a backup. Everything else is stored as fat. So if you're constantly eating, your insulin levels are always here constantly, right? Insulin is a fat hormone. It's not People think of it as blood sugar, but it's actually a fat hormone. So the more you make of it, the more it causes you to store fat. And the more you produce of it, the more your body gets resistant to it. So even if you're not diabetic, you'll start to have this. Is, I, I, it's not a resistance, but you'll start to overwork your pancreas. All right? But So intermittent fasting is giving you a long period of time where you're not taking in any calories, where your body's resting and you're not producing insulin. If you can just do um, just a simple one, which would be a, a 16 fast, 8-hour window of eating, Everybody can, you can pick eight hours. You can pick your eight hours. I usually say pick 11 to 7 or a 12 to 8. You, can, you won't even notice it. You can have, you know, coffee as long as it's not sweetened. You can have unsweet green tea. You can have water. You can sip on liquids until 11 o'clock. Everybody can make it. You, we don't need breakfast. But just doing that will cut your calorie intake, one, about 20%. And remember, you need to have a, in order to lose a pound, it's 3,500 calories per pound. So think about 500 calories less per day is one pound a week. So give yourself that time. Don't eat breakfast. Just sip on your liquid, whatever your favorite thing, as long as it's not a, you know, a, cappuccino. yeah, cappuccino. You know what I'm saying? You can still have that. But, you know, give yourself some time. That extended period not only helps you to lose weight, it actually can help save your life because it, it has a, a yes, ma'am. I have a question. Yes. Um, I'm 
Yes. So I work out at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. So intermittent fasting still, it, it, can I do that? With, and my workouts are ridiculous. Like, they're, it's an hour long. So I wanted to try intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. but I actually constantly eat throughout the day, and I work out at 5 a.m., and my workout is like CrossFit or something of that mm-hmm. sort. Intense. So I'm always afraid that I may not have the energy to get through my workouts. Mm-hmm. Can I still do the intermittent fasting? You can do the intermittent fasting, but pick your time window. So if you're going to start eating earlier, start in eating earlier. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you work out before you eat. If you can, it's actually the best thing for you to do because fasted cardio will pull your, your energy stores from fat, not from the energy you take in. So that's one of the best things to do. But have you noticed you're eating throughout the day and you're doing these intense workouts? Is it working? Is it helping? Or is you seeing like a minimal change? No, my, no, my, um, my body fat. Good. Yeah, it, it, it works for me, mm-hmm. but intermittent fasting is something that a lot of people have been gearing towards mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just something that I've never done. Mm-hmm. However, it's something that I would like to incorporate. I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm not passing out. <laughs> no, no, no. You just have to, you just have to modify your window. Yeah. You have to modify your window. And if some people, and I do have one that works out intensely with you, and then she takes, like, her pre-supplements with it, I tell her, like, if you really have to take something before you work out, take something without any carbs. I'll do a pre-workout um, before I work out, and then that's it. But no, I mean, if she has to eat something on her stomach before she takes it, she'll take, like, a piece of turkey and a, a slice of cheese, and that's it. Yeah. Or a boiled egg, you know, mm-hmm. um, chopped up boiled egg and, and some turkey, and then that's it. And so you're still you're eating, but you're minimally affecting your insulin levels. Mm-hmm. So it, it almost kind of it, it, it breaks your fast, but it doesn't have that insulin spike. So you can do one or two things. You can either modify the window um, and just start eating earlier and end it earlier, you know, and just don't eat anything to the next time when you eat, you know, or you can try to take something just a little, something quick, you know, just for energy. But if you can work out on an empty stomach, that's literally the best. If you're trying to lose weight, fasted, fasted exercising is the best way because if you eat first, your body's going to glucose. Anything you just ate is the easiest for your body to use. It's going to use that first. Fat stores later. But if you fast it all night and you work out, Guess what? The only source of energy is to break down your fat. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, try don't don't go crazy, you know, and don't try to jump into <laughs> well, CrossFit. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Well, I think, and, and I wanted to add on to what she's saying, because I've been wanting to do that, and I know you can work out before mm-hmm. without eating, but my thing is eating afterwards because I, you know, I don't want to crash. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know when you have that window. You know, so, you know, you want to eat. You want to make sure you eat some protein mm-hmm. to make sure you build that muscle instead of the... So, are you saying not to eat after you work out? No, you can eat. You can... You, it depends on your... Exactly. Your window is just going to be a little earlier. But you can do that. You know, we just don't need to yeah, eat yeah, what yeah. we've been eating. Yeah. Um, and then the more the you do it... The, huh? What about the protein shakes afterwards? Yeah, if that's if that's going to be your yeah, meal afterwards, yeah, that you can yeah, do it afterwards. Start, I just right? wouldn't do it before because you're kind of you're not getting the best benefit you can from working out by taking in something yeah. like you know 200 calories or whatever protein or not. It's just not going to do. It's not going to be as effective as if you do it first thing waking up. Um, but as far as that, we were talking about the window. Oh, so the window, um, the window for eating. Again, you can you can eat at 10. You can end it, and what is that, y'all, six? Yeah. Okay. So you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you begin, the longer you do it, the more you do it, the less hungry you'll be because your body's not used to it. You, do you ever notice if you eat late, you wake up in the morning like you haven't eaten oh my God. in, like, days? Yes. Because your body's used to that. Your body released insulin, you went to sleep. Do you know what I'm saying? So, the, do you, but you, when you're fasting, you're not even hungry. Once you start doing it, you're not hungry to like. So sometimes you got to be like, "Oh, it's one o'clock. Let me eat," yeah. because your body's used to like, "Oh, we don't need to eat in the morning. Let me psh, my insulin levels need to be right here because we're good." Your digestive system is like, "We're good." You know, we got liquids. We're okay. And then you notice you'll start getting hungry around 11, 12 o'clock. You know, this is what this is this is what our body's been accustomed to. But we can change that, and you don't have to spend a dime. You just have to incorporate those few changes. You'll notice a difference. Now, there, there are things available to help. There are things available to help with, you know, appetite suppression, um, things hormonal. Some things are hormonal. Some things are not just exercise and, um, and eating less, you know, because there are other factors in the place why we gain weight. 
you know, and, you know, we can talk more about that later, but I just want you guys to know those three things. If that's what you're doing, incorporate those small changes. It's not, you're not going to notice that big of a difference on your life, but you'll notice a big of a difference in your health. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. So what, I, what these scores mean, 150 points or less means that you're dealing with a relatively low amount of stress and grief. Mm -hmm. And let's see, it says you have a low susceptibility to, to a stress-induced health breakdown at 150 points or less. Mm -hmm. But 150 to 300 points, now we're at about a 50% chance of a health breakdown in the next two years. A 50% chance of a health breakdown in the next two years. And those can take, like we said, they can take shape in different ways. It can be a mental breakdown. It can be physical health uh, breakdown. And we start to get sick. We start to um, get inflammation. We're carrying more water weight. We put on weight. We have hair loss breakage in that t-zone so all these things happen and you don't really it just came from out of nowhere right no it didn't come from out of nowhere 300 points or more 80 percent chance of a health breakdown in the next two years and so that's also high blood pressure diabetes all of these different ailments um, that come from stress and grief Right? And the only thing that we will usually attribute to a major breakdown is death or divorce. Those are really the only two things that people will allow you, you know, allow you to really say you're grieving. But all of these other life events take just as much of a toll on us. So I mentioned my background is in change. Um, I'm certified in the ProSide Change Management Methodology. And for grief recovery, I'm certified in the grief recovery method. It's the only evidence-based grief recovery method there is. So even if you go to licensed therapists, they usually get certified in the grief recovery method. I started exploring this because I was doing change management solutions for you know large organizations. So if people were um, implementing new um, technologies, you know, large IT projects or implementing new, you know, hiring policies or changes to just different policies and procedures at work and you have to get people acclimated to the new change. That's the type of work that I was doing. And then there would be some people that, you know, dove right in. But then there would be others that resisted, complained, just could not motivate themselves, were not inspired to do it. And I would hear things like, I don't have time for this. I got a child I'm trying to put through college. Uh, I don't have time for this. I have a mom that's sick. I have a, I have a mom that I'm about to put into, um, you know, into uh, needing some type of support service, you know, that type of thing. They're like, I don't want to deal with this change at work. I got real life things going on at home. And I would hear that consistently. And I said, you know what? These people are grieving. They're grieving personal change. And then it's being, you know, compounded by professional change. And so I started exploring the grief, right? And then it just took on a whole different shape. And so that's the work that I do now. So you hear, hear these stories on the podcast, uh, people navigating through change, uncertainty, fear, all related to change and grief. And it, I start with, well, I'll talk a little bit more about the, the grief recovery methodology. It takes place over four to eight weeks, depending on how large the group is or if it's one-on-one. -on -one. And I start with this because um, it gives you more insight into all of the different things that we experience and that we've experienced over the course of our lives that we never healed from. So for all of the other events, like I said, death and divorce, they're going to give you a little bit of passing. Okay, let her have her moment. <laughs> but for the rest of them, they're just like, get over it, get back to business. And so if you've been taught all of your life, and it starts very early on that we learned how to mask grief, hurt, pain, disappointment, loss. This is all part of life. Yeah. Yeah. And that also includes loss of identity. So I want to say that you also grieve loss of identity and it's because you start masking these feelings. You start pretending you're okay and then you take on a new identity. So you are grieving who you really are.
and that you won't allow yourself to be your authentic self because people don't want to hear it. Right? So let's talk about some of the, I mentioned the STIRBS in the other room. And so that's an acronym, short-term energy relieving behaviors. So they're things that we do to cope, but not to heal. And then we're going to also talk about some of the myths that start very early on with regard to coping. Okay, so the short-term energy relieving behaviors, like I said, they can be things like um, overeating, it can be alcohol abuse, it can be substance abuse, but it can also be things like being a shopaholic, being a workaholic, being the person that always keeps busy with some type of activity. And we know those people. We know people who already have full plates but then they'll take on Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and making cupcakes and just doing a number of different things. And a lot of times that is running from um, quiet time. It's running from resting because then you got the monkey mind. So now you have all this time to really think about what's missing in, in your life, what's lacking in your life, where you haven't healed. And so you are just doing these short-term energy-relieving behaviors to cope. But you never heal. You're dealing, but not healing. Okay? And so some of the myths that we talk about. And once I say them, you'll be like, yes, I've been taught that from day one. And this, as I said, how, how early it starts. Don't cry. Don't cry. No, no, no. No, I'm saying that's one of the earliest myths, right? You are, you know, as a child, um, saddened by the loss of a pet, saddened by the loss of a best friend, moving away, changing schools, starts very early on. And you're, don't cry. It'll be, it'll be fine. We'll get another pet, you know, that type of thing. So it's, it's telling you not to cry because it makes other people uncomfortable, but it's also teaching you to replace the pain with something else. And that's where those short-term energy releasing behaviors typically start by trying to replace that pain, replace that loss. What are some other things before I share with them? What are some things that, that um, people have, people have said to you if they see you hurting, if they see you on the verge of tears, how do they try to prevent those tears or that pain? Like saying something funny. Mm-hmm. Saying something, you know. Yeah, so that's distraction. Making a joke out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes people will just say, get over it. Yeah. Yep. Like, like, to me, that is so rude. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, okay, it might take me five minutes, it might take mm-hmm. her five days. Mm-hmm. But it's not fair to kind of get a time limit, especially when you're talking about grief. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, well, your dad died like five years ago. You still crying? It's like, well, we, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Because I haven't adequately grieved. Exactly. Yeah. I haven't been allowed to adequately mm-hmm. grieve. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I'm glad you say that because that's another one of the myths. Give it time. Mm-hmm. I can love you, Miss Give it time. That sets me on fire. Yeah. When people who Oh, it'll be, you know, as time goes by, it's like, no, well, yeah. maybe for you because you didn't, you know, maybe you weren't close to that person. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, it might take me a lifetime. And as I'm going through it, I need for you to shut your mouth mm-hmm. and <laughs> let me do it how I do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that we miss the fact that we grieve differently. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And yes. Time Absolutely. Yeah. Me. Going back to you don't know what the relationship was with exactly. mm-hmm. yes. yeah. and I think we miss it, and sometimes we project how we feel or how we deal with things yes. on others yeah. and have the expectation for them to move forward. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and so that's why, if you recall, in the other room, I said. When it comes to these, I share this worksheet so that you can see how many of these life events we experience on a day-to-day basis, you know, on a year-to-year basis, how we all experience these things, but nobody adequately grieves. So if nobody adequately grieves, then the only recommendations they can give you are the wrong recommendations that they've been practicing themselves. So this is what we're taught. 
Yes. And we're taught, like I said, very early on. So if we learn very early on that we aren't supposed to cry when we see our parents argue or we see dad leave, move out, never return, and you're supposed to go back to school the next day and act like everything is fine. Oh, don't cry. We're, we'll, we'll, I'll take you out to sell, you know, some, somewhere special this weekend. So if you're taught not to cry, to push on, to smile when you get back to school the next day very early on, uh-huh. You continue to carry it with you. And not only do you carry it with you, but sometimes you teach those same unhealthy coping mechanisms to other people. And so the values that are on this worksheet, I said, they're helpful for showing you your totals, but not so much for assigning value um, to which is more of a priority or which one has more impact on a person than another. I don't want you to look at it that way. Because if you experience, if one person experiences a foreclosure and the other person experiences a death, so the person that experienced that foreclosure, and I'm not pointing to y'all because I I don't, I don't know your events, but um, if a person experiences a foreclosure and they lose their home, you're not going to tell them that that foreclosure doesn't hurt as much as your death does, right? So that's what I mean. So I don't want to diminish anyone's grief. So the values are only to show you just how impactful they are. But when it comes to navigating your own grief, losing your car, getting thrown out of your home, you know, like I've, I've heard people share um, how that felt like a death, that they had been living in this home renting for 20-something years and then had to move. Yeah. And they had to move because the owners were selling the home. That's the home that they've been in it for two decades, raised their children in and had to give it up with very little notice, mm-hmm. right? So those types of things, they, 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 they carry such weight on us and they do really impact us. Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a personal story, but talking about grief, there are so many layers to grief and it's just a transparent story mm-hmm. with my son, 25, he was involved in a domestic situation okay. with a young lady and it caused him to go to jail. So first I had to process the, okay, he's my son, then mm-hmm. all of the things that you think about that could happen, does happen in, in jail, jail or whatever. So yeah. I'm thinking of his well-being. Yeah. So then I'm a woman that I'm thinking about, you, you've not seen any of this, so why are you in a situation? So I'm thinking about her yeah. mm-hmm. and the impact on her life. And so... And I had a person, and it's like, oh, we gotta let our adult children just, you know, you know, you gotta let them do. They're gonna make their mistakes. Yes, intellectually, I understand that. Yeah. But I'm processing all of these other things that yeah. are related to where he is now. What am I gonna do? Am I gonna do something? Mm-hmm. Is this gonna be hard? So much. Yeah. But you're trying to tell me, oh, you know, let him just, he got to deal with what he got to deal yeah. with. You can't speak into, there's so many things that go along with yeah. it all at the same time. Absolutely. And right on the cuff of the holidays. Yep. Yeah. It was yeah. just yeah, really difficult, but people insert themselves without knowing mm-hmm. the yeah. full story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People just don't know what to say, though. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. I think, so, so, I think silence speaks it's well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think sometimes it, yeah. it's hard to know what to say yeah. for somebody who's, who's grieving mm-hmm. and dealing with mm-hmm. something like yeah. that. Yes, we have to yeah. allow our children to make mistakes. However, we pray and hope oh, that they yeah. do not make mm-hmm. a life altering mistake that ends up, you know, or, or dealing with this wrong person, whatever it is, right. you know, yeah. something that changes their life forever yeah. in a negative way. Right. So sometimes we just have to be quiet and listen and let people just kind of um, vent. Yes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like for us, we have to take hold ourselves accountable for the space that we share certain things in. Yeah. Because everybody's not equipped yeah. to be able to receive mm-hmm. and, and to be able to process that and right. be the thing that you might need at that time. Yeah. But then you internalize and you're not sharing and then the depression settled in because you don't want, oh, you don't want to have to tell. I mean, this is a close girlfriend, knows him, yeah. but you don't want to have to tell that something happened. So now you're 
holding. Because you're afraid of the response, yeah, the response. or lack of response, yeah, lack of compassion that you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And that's and I'm glad you used that word intellectualize because mm -hmm. that's precisely the word that the grief recovery method uses. Mm -hmm. Is that we start off with carrying this emotion that we need to, you know, release. We need to begin to grieve. Mm -hmm. And we're quickly told to intellectualize it. Mm -hmm. And then that's when you stop speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I love the grief recovery method because when a person is going through their graph, um, their history loss, which is something similar to this, but I have an exercise where I have you look at the breadth of your life, you know, from your, from your earliest memory on and think about all of the events that you've experienced and assign um, a level of impact to them. So you think about that over the course of your life. And once you do that, you can see, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing, the, losing the point that I want to make, but when you, start, when you start to explain it, because you do it one-on-one, -on -one, you're partnered up with someone. If it's a group like this, then there would be one one-to-one. -one. You, would, you would walk through your grief history and they would walk through theirs. But when you walk through yours, I'm supposed to be silent. I don't, I don't reach out to give you a hug because hug stops you from talking or it makes you cry. And then you feel like, well, now I've broken down. Now I have to save face. So I don't want to, and then I'm going to try to breeze through this and not be emotional about it. But that's the difference when you allow yourself to be emotional versus intellectualizing it. So when it's done one-on-one, -on -one, the other person is um, a heart of ear, I mean, a, a, a heart of ears. Basically you're just a heart with ears. I'm I'm just going to sit here and listen. I'm not going to respond. I'm going to allow you to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. So more of the myths. Be strong for others. Right? So that's a part of not crying. That's a part of, um, you know, just saving face, moving on, getting back to work the very next day. Yeah. Be strong for others because really it's about making other people feel uncomfortable, making other people feel emotional. And they don't want to feel that emotion. So instead, instead it's, well, be strong, you know, be strong. Don't let your kids see you break down. Well, no, that's exactly what they need to see. They need to see you adequately grieve and then get to the other side. I, um, I, I mean, it's part of this, but it's, so the whole time I said, I'm thinking about, I remember ever since I was a kid, my mom always shared the story of when her mom, her mom died of lung cancer. And so when she died, her, her aunt, my grandmother's sister, told my mother, don't let her see you cry. Yeah. Okay. You want her to be strong. But my mom, this has been her biggest regret in life because she has no idea if her mother understood that she was hurt, um, if she understood how she felt. She's like, my mother didn't see me cry. Like, she's dying. She didn't yeah. see me cry because her aunt told her not to. Yeah. So it's like, it's been her her biggest thing. And, and I, I feel like, you know, she's a strong woman and she's a hard woman sometimes. Um, I feel like sometimes she's, at this point, she doesn't cry a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, she try not to let you see because I think that just kind of scarred her so yeah. bad. Mm -hmm. You know, it scarred her so bad, and it, it comes from the the upbringing and people not knowing what to say, exactly, not, how, not knowing how to grieve properly, not knowing how to allow people to grieve the way they grieve. Just you know, like yeah, will be, yeah. So I mean, I just wanted to share that, but that's the whole thing I keep thinking about. Like my mom, how how was hard for her yeah. not to be able to show her mom that she was yeah. sad. She was like, you know, trying to be strong for others. Yeah. But, yeah. So not only was she not allowed to grieve her mom, mm -hmm. show emotion in, in even preparing for the loss. Mm -hmm. Then she carried guilt for the rest of her life. The rest of her life. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Grieve alone. So that's similar to being strong for others, because if I can't be strong for everybody, then I need to grieve by myself. Now, nobody wants to see this. That's the other thing we're taught, right? So if you're going to grieve, grieve alone. But instead, you need community. You need support. You need that compassion, that empathy that we were talking about earlier so that people so that you are allowed to grieve and you have a support system and circle that helps you through that instead of having to put on the mask every time you leave your house. Right. So we've talked about authentic authenticity, being your authentic self, not losing identity, because, again, that loss of identity comes from wearing the mask, pretending to be OK. Distract yourself. We talked about that with the stirbs. Um, keep busy. Don't think about it. And give it time, which we've talked about earlier.
So alternative, alternatively then, if we're saying that these are the six myths, then we know the alternative to don't cry, cry. <laughs> cry as often as you can or need to because wells eventually run dry. And I don't say that to oversimplify this process, but there, there does come a point when you've cried it all out. They say tears is like a cleansing. Yeah. It's a cleansing process. Yeah. So if you hold it in, you're not allowing yourself to exactly. Exactly. So uh, then, so then, be strong for others. So instead, don't feel like you have to be strong for others. Find community. So yes, there are always going to be those people that don't want you to grieve in front of them. You know, it's uncomfortable. You're making people uncomfortable. But instead of Allowing those people to be your support because they aren't really supporting, you need to find some community. Find a tribe that is going to allow you to grieve the way that you need to. Um, learn to be alone but not lonely. And I say that alongside grieving alone because in some of these uh, life events, we are actually talking about death. So not for, not for all of them. But for some of them, we actually are talking about loss. In the form of a person physically being gone. So whether that's from death, whether that's from divorce or separation, whether that's from um, a child moving away, starting a life of their own, not having you not having the same access to your child as you did before. And that happens when kids go off to college in other cities, sometimes in other countries. There have been parents who wanted to move to where their kids went to college. It happens. <laughs> it happens. And so you must deal with the loss, but then you have to deal with being okay with being alone. So you're not grieving alone, but then you're dealing with being alone but not lonely because we still have to find it always comes back to finding community if you write nothing else down <laughs> than anything else today you write down finding community it's similar to with um like i lost my dad last year mm -hmm. but my daughter's in the military okay and but um i have two grandbabies from her okay and um but she just got noticed that she has to go to California. I'm like, no. Yeah. Because my grandbabies are seeing her, like, they're only three hours away. So the okay. casita yeah. has been actually um, helped in my grieving process with yeah. my um, my second um, my second grandbaby was, was supposed to be due June 14th, but came early. So it's time for even my dad to see the grandbaby. Oh, grandbaby. Uh -huh. And so... Having them has also been a, a source of comfort. Yeah. And so now I'm like, oh no, we can't start 2023 with another loss. <laughs> Not meaning that they're going physically, but yeah. go, now you're going to be like so many hours away. No, here. that's that's the example yeah, I was so. just given. So they are physically gone. Yeah. So, yeah, so you are going to be dealing with another sense of loss. Right. So being alone but not lonely right. because now go back to those stirbs that I was talking about right. or the distractions. They've also been kind of a crutch. Right. So they've helped you through your grief or, right. or through this sense of loss by providing comfort and providing joy. Right. But there should be release mm -hmm. that you are okay with mm -hmm. and, they are, and, and your joy and love for them will still be that source of joy and happiness and the, and the memories and being able to FaceTime them. Right. So I can sense that you're already fearing them leaving. I'm already getting sad. It's like, Whoa. Yeah. Start grieving now. Yeah. I was like, oh boy, I can't. Start grieving now. Allow yourself to start grieving now. Yeah. And it's okay. Right. It's okay. Yeah. Like my daughter's twenty-two. She's in college, but she just in town, so that's going to be nice and farther enough away. But she's not, <laughs> you know. So I still see her. However, I find myself grieving her twelve-year-old self. Mm, you know, ah, mm -hmm. and that's what that's one of those things I'm like are we going to get some help for some of this stuff going on because I found myself a lot last year crying about 
you know, like she used to love the group One Direction. Uh -huh. And I found myself grieving her 12-year-old self when we used to run around trying to, you know, see if we could see the boys, running to every concert, <laughs> yeah. trying to be in D.C., catch up with the bus, you know, like, like stuff like that. Yeah. This But you don't want to replace I don't I haven't coped with it. Exactly. Because like I said, you know, said earlier, my daughter's clingy. But she's twenty two. Well, she's gonna get to the point where she's oh, yeah. grown and has a family and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But I find myself not crying and missing them, mm -hmm. crying and grieving them yeah. because she's not twelve anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's not. So it's like, okay, I need to realize she's not twelve anymore. Yeah. And yeah. But those are those are um, very important years. Yeah. Because that's when when they're twelve. That's when they become they. They have real personality. They're real yeah. people at this point that you can actually spend time with. They're mature enough that you can have adult-like conversations with them um, and just get to know them as people. Yeah. So those are the, that, that's what you're kind of holding on to. Yeah. 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 No, I, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So would that be that she's like grieving the loss of her baby? Because so, like, she's 12, yeah. she's growing up. A version of her. Of, mm -hmm. Like yeah. going into adulthood, so mm -hmm. she's grieving the baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, like my son is 15. Mm -hmm. And I, um, him and my daughter are both born the same day. Okay. Just 10 years apart. Oh, okay. Oh, so wow. She's 25. <laughs> wow. And, um, the other day I told him, I was like, oh, I remember you when you was five years old. Mm -hmm. I didn't just see little. Yeah. Because I know at some point, <laughs> in two years, you're about to graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're going to either go to the military or you're going to go to college. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you're going to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's just interesting. You like the stage of where. Mm -hmm. Because then they're there, you still have stability. And yeah. everyone's a family, but we also understand they're all going to grow up. Absolutely. And they're here for us to help them to mature, to become adults, and they create their own. Yeah. But we always wanted to. Yeah, there's still there's still a version of this person that you remember. Right. And you are missing that person, that version of the person. Yeah. And, and we see that a lot with people who... Um, Let's say a parent has dementia or yeah. Alzheimer's. There's a version of them that you remember. Mm -hmm. Or if a person is injured um, to the point where, you know, maybe there's paralysis, there's the, there's, it's impaired mobility and things like that. So there's a version of them that no longer exists. And you will, you will grieve that, although they're still physically here, you will grieve that version of them. Yeah. So I know it, this isn't something that we can get into today. This mm -hmm. is the first step. I'm showing you kind of what the first session looks like in the grief recovery method. But then over the course of the next several weeks, you, like I said, you'll do a um, loss history. So you'll look at the breadth of your life <laughs> or um, when you get to the point of actually doing this relationship history, this relationship graph, graph you're going to look at that person. The person that you're going to, that you're, it, it starts with something like this and then the, a lost history graph. So that's all the senses of loss that you've experienced over the course of your life. Then it's the, a relationship graph where you're working on specific relationships and it can be one for the, fir, for the um, full eight weeks. And then maybe you repeat the process because there's somebody else you want to work on too. And then it's um, you know, communicating through all of that. It's talking about forgiveness if forgiveness is needed apologies if apologies are needed these significant emotional statements like things that you you know needed to say but never got to say you talk about any guilt that you have um, which are more about regrets I actually don't like to use that word guilt but it's what we all say we feel guilty about something but it's not guilt it's regrets there are things that we wish we could have done differently that's where the different better more comes from there are things that we wish we could have done differently or that 
they would have done differently. There are things that we wish we'd have done better or that they'd done better. And then we have this magical thinking of wishing there was more time or, you know, to do more. So I use that phrase, you know, why this event is called Different, Better, More is because while we still have time, right? Because now we're goal setting. So while we still have time, Here's our opportunity to do things differently. Here's our opportunity to do things better. Here's our top opportunity to do more of something, mm-hmm. right? So I, I take the phrase that comes with healing and use it to goal setting. Okay. Right. Yeah. And then it ends with the completion, the completion letter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I see this little thing at the bottom. Okay. Is this part of this or is this? something that you do because I'm having a problem with my like so I just lost my husband in July of last year okay so he moved us all the way to Hagerstown Ah. and so it was like me and him against the world you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. but my family's not there his family's not there like it was literally me and him in this western town Mm -hmm. and it's no community there like I'm trying to connect with people and it's like older people yeah which they have a loss, but they don't understand because we still have a lot of six kids, youngest is five. So it's not the same. Yeah. You know, they're losing their spouse to illness, age-related. So something to be expecting is like, no, like I haven't found it. Not yet. And their answer's like, oh, go to church. But I'm like, I wasn't in a church. Like, yeah. I'm just walking to church like, hey, I'm here. I lost my husband. Give me some. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's not yeah. how that works. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I'm having the hardest time with that. Like, I know that's what I need, but yeah. it's like, I'm down here because my friend lives down here. But I don't. Okay. Like, I, I want to have for me to get here. <laughs> so I would say this, and I and I I'll, I'll use kind of the same um example that I give for conflict resolution. Like most people don't deal with conflict resolution. They don't take my, they don't take my workshops. I'm like, so the people that are here, you took my workshop, you know how to do the work. They don't know how to do the work. So now you have to be the person or you can be the person who creates this community. So if the community doesn't exist, you can create the community because what's going to happen is you're going to go in knowing the myths. You're going to know in the way that we've been ineffectively taught to heal. And you can be the one to say, now, everything, what you've been doing before, I know to some extent it hasn't worked for you. I know. I know you've been healing the wrong way. Here's how to heal. Or, you know, let's, let's talk through your grief. You know what I mean? So you can create a safe space for, the, for them that probably hasn't existed for them in all these years. They could actually be in a scenario where since so many people have experienced loss, I'm supposed to be fine. I'm supposed to be fine because you were fine. I'm supposed to be fine because you were fine. Like they've all experienced loss. And so to them, your loss is no greater than mine. Right? But all of our loss is great and we probably could be a lot more supportive if we allowed each other to talk through it. So maybe you are the bud, the nucleus of that community. Yeah. So you were asking, one of you was asking about the information at the bottom of the page. Oh, I just said something about that. Okay. So the, the information at the bottom of the page, that's my Slack community and it's free. I'll have weekly sessions. So we'll do once a week and then I have, um, every two weeks or so is like a lunch chat and chew. And doing something like that, if you invite somebody from your church, um, you're probably going to find out more about them than you ever have before. It's learning coping skills. Right. Well, going through through the the grief recovery method at least prepares you for um, being able to deal. And then knowing that there is life after dealing. Because like I said, the goal is to be okay with being okay because you'll be surprised at how much um, guilt, and it actually does feel like guilt, comes with being okay. You know, like people expect you to carry this sense of loss forever. The loss won't go away. The love won't go away. But you being able to... um, to still embrace life 
afterward is what comes with grief recovery. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It's placed in a different part of you, but it's always... But but not compartmentalizing. Because compartmentalizing is still put a box on it, put a lid on it, pretend it doesn't exist. So basically it's when you get to the point, because for all of these events, some of them you can tell you won't get teary-eyed, you won't get mad anymore, you won't get upset because you've healed from that. Right. And, some, and sometimes it doesn't require any support to help you heal. But then there are others. Right. When someone asks about, you, asks about that event and you... Exactly. So those are the ones that you work on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, I would love to continue these conversations. I have at least the Slack channel information there. I just realized I didn't put any other contact information. And that's going to do it for this week. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode and the stories shared here. And if any of their testimonies and stories were especially moving for you, I think that hearing other people's stories awaken something in us and help us realize that, you know, we've got some self-work to do. So if you felt that at any point during this episode, please reach out and share that with me. I would love to hear your comments. And to that point, also, please rate and review the podcast if you haven't done that already. Okay. These are the conversations we're having in my Slack community. So I hope you'll also join me there. The link is in the show notes, but I will also share it here. If you have a good memory and quick fingers, (laughs) you can head on over to bit.ly forward slash DBM Slack. That's actually, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash DBM Slack. That's D as in different, B as in better, M as in more. (laughs) All right. Hope to see you there. Bye-bye. Those FNC Words is an independently produced podcast produced and edited by yours truly, Marcia Cork, and made possible with support from listeners like you. To support the podcast, go to anchor.fm forward slash those FNC words forward slash support or click the link in the show description. If you've made a commitment to self-care in 2023, join my free Hashtag different, better, more challenge on Slack. Come for the accountability, stay for the community. Download the Slack app now and click the link in the show description to join. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Listen, you've heard my hashtag different, better, more. What will you do differently, better, or more of in 2023? Some of you have already committed to healing from grief, by working with me and my non-clinical approach to grief recovery and support. But for those of you who want to round out your healing with a clinical approach, there's BetterHelp and their network of over 25,000 licensed therapists. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether that's by text, by chat, phone, or even video. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, with more scheduling flexibility and at a much more affordable price. Use this link to get 10% off your first month. BetterHelp.com forward slash C-Words. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash C-Words.